We continue with the Daily Sports Feed on ESPN Harrisonburg. I am Dave Rigger. A pleasure to have you along. Coming up this weekend, the Dukes on the road once again as they take on Georgia Southern down in Statesboro. They renew that old rivalry at the 1AA level. Let's talk to Danny Reed. He is the play-by-play voice at Georgia Southern. Danny, how are you, sir? Dave, I'm doing great. I know you guys are doing well, too. Yeah, it's been it's been fun up here. There's no doubt about that. But I'm sure it is down there, too. I know, obviously, the, the tradition, the history, and everything like that with, with the program, I know it was a tough year last year, the coaching change. But Coach Helton has come in. It's kind of uh, the last two losses are one-score losses. It could be a different record than 3-3. Three and three, But you guys are playing really good football right now, and that's probably good to see, see back, isn't it? Well, that's one thing he reiterated at our coaches' show on Monday night. Georgia Southern's had five straight one-score games in the fourth quarter, so even though there have been some deficiencies on the defensive side with some depth issues, offensively they've been able to get their yards, they're scoring their points. To go from a predominantly option program over four decades now opening things up with four and five wide receivers, it's been a little bit of a culture shock in running about 80 plays per game, which is close to 20 more than what Georgia Southern was running the previous four years. It has been nice to see how things can shift so quickly and how positive things can be despite coming off of a 3-9 and nine season. And in another vein, if the defense was just a little bit more stingy against the run, you might be talking about Georgia Southern being an undefeated team coming into this matchup. But you are who you are. You learn what you've got to learn. And for the Eagles right now, they're a very offensive team that's looking to figure some things out on defense. I think they've got the pieces. They just need to figure a way to make them all work over the back half of the season. I want to ask you about about what you said, just the, the transformation from offense. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, a pre- predominantly option offense into a different type of offense, spread and throwing it around. How was that accepted at first? <laughs> uh, about as well as you would anticipate yeah, I for a group of fans that are so used to watching the under center, the flex bone, the triple, whatever you want to call it, because it's been ingrained. It's been etched in this culture. It's been for um, almost all 40 of the years, save for a couple of couple of seasons, some one-offs and during the Chris Atcher era when Georgia Southern was a little bit more air rate from 07 through 09. But yeah, it's not a place where people like change a whole lot, but they haven't seen anything else work. They're seeing this offense work, and I think people are realizing that it can be done some different ways. And even the previous couple of years when Georgia Southern was still option-based, but it was more a gun, a pistol option, so that was different. And it, it, it didn't get accepted right away, but when you win the conference championship in year one of the transition, you win nine games and go to a bowl in 15 in year two, it has a way of bringing people around. And in this instance, with Kyle Van Treese leading the league in passing, he's already set the school record for passing in a single season, six <laughs> games into the season, to give you an idea of where the priorities were for running the football. But the receivers are talented. Derwin Burgess has taken a monumental step forward. Caleb Hood continues to be steady. He's going to end up being Georgia Southern's all-time leader in catches by the end of the season if things continue to go the way that they are. But when you see a team that's averaging about 37 points and 500 yards per game, you realize that, hey, something else does work. And when it all matches up, when it all starts to click, I think that Georgia Southern is going to be a team that everybody circles on their schedule where they had existed for so long during mm-hmm. that one double a and fcs tenure yeah no question we're talking with danny reed the play-by-play voice at georgia southern you mentioned it the first year of the transition for georgia southern eight and oh in the Sun Belt again sunbelt conference champions there wasn't a conference championship game back then um obviously the dukes are having success this year in, in their first year of the transition 
Were you were you doing the games then when that happened? 2014 was the year before I got Okay. There. I was actually here for one of the home games because I was really good friends with most of the guys that were on that crew, and most of them are still on the crew now. It's close to 70 years of experience we have with our broadcast crew, which has been a benefit in and of itself. But just watching that team in 2014 run through a different Sunbelt Conference, you could see that they were ready yeah. for the transition, it, very similar to what JMU is experiencing right now. now. Eagles haven't been a top 25 team yet. They've scared it a couple of times. But to watch them that year just run roughshod over that league, go 8 no, they won their first 11 conference games from 14 through 15. They've been right around 500 since, but the league has certainly changed a lot, especially now with four new teams in the circuit. But that was a program that having won six national titles and 10 conference titles at the 1AA and FCS level, the fish was big, too big for the pond. Right. And you had to, could you make the jump? getting the finances and the infrastructure to match up, and that's something that Jared Benko has been really consistent and persistent with over the last couple of years, seeing how so many teams in this league have elevated their stature with what App has done, Louisiana Coastal, and now JMU coming in and really running the league the first half of the season. Georgia Southern and the rest of the league is realizing, okay, if we're going to stick with it and we're going to succeed, we've got to invest in our recruiting, we've got to invest financially, and we've got to find ways to be unique amongst the 130 other teams that are in the FBS. Yeah, and these again, we, we talked earlier, but these two programs are very similar. And, and, you know, doing that the first year, and that's kind of, there's a lot of football yet to be played this season for JMU, but it kind of validates the, the, the jump up to FBS, and I'm sure it did for Georgia Southern back then too. Oh, without a doubt. And there, there were people that had talked about it for a while. There were actually conversations way before the announcement came in 2012, but there had been talk for a long time when Georgia Southern actually resurrected the program in the fall of 81, and then four years later they were winning a national championship. The, the story <laughs> that has been told about this program in four decades is really incredible, and we've been able to put out a docu-series episode by episode, week by week. It's a 12-part series about – how this program was resurrected, where it's come from, all the national championships and building up to the present day because it reminds a lot of the older fans what they went through and maybe they can remember some of the things that they forgot along the way (laughs) about those memories and about those travels and the experiences. But for younger fans that we're trying to incorporate into this culture, they hear about this, but to see history, that's something that's beneficial for them as well. They've heard the stories about Eric Russell and Tracy Ham and national titles. But to see the video and see how the travel was, how the fashion was, how Statesboro was, how much Eagle Creek has changed in the last 40 years, it's been compelling to hear some of the comments from people that are realizing exactly what has gone on over the last four decades. And now you're at a spot where you're in the Sunbelt Conference, which is as strong as it has ever been from a football standpoint. Ranked teams are a regular thing, speaking to one of them right now. And the profile of this league, I think it's escalated pretty quickly, and I do believe that very, very soon the Sun Belt is going to be the top G5 conference, and in some ways, it's there now. Yeah, no question. We're talking with Danny Reed, the play-by-play voice at Georgia Southern. Coach Helton, I was very impressed with him at the Sun Belt Media Days. I had a chance to talk to him there and, and, and since, but um, I've been very impressed with him. It seems like he's really taken to Georgia Southern. He knows the history, the tradition, and, and he's fit right in, hasn't he? Well, I think he won a lot of people over at Media Day when he said it takes him seven minutes to get from his house to the office, and it takes him a half a cup of coffee and two country songs with Cole Swindell and Luke Fry to get him to the <laughs> office. So I think he won the people over quickly. Cole was actually in town this week playing a concert over one of the 
one of the places near the stadium. And he, to be able to combine things like that and really bring him back home, not not just Cole, but also with Coach Elton, because he's from Gainesville, Florida, which is three hours due south of here. He is a southeastern guy. And you say that for somebody that spent the last 12 years out in Los Angeles, uh, having your fingertips of really whatever you want and being able to leave one of the most powerful brands in all of college athletics. But this is home for him. And when he says that, he means it. His father's been very active in coming down, watching his son, being able to build another program. Kim Helton was a head coach and a longtime offensive line coach in the NFL in Canada and in college. This this has been a really important thing for him professionally, but also personally, because you can tell how much he fits, how much he has enjoyed his interactions with people around here with Eagle Nation. It, it's a comfort level that it, it's, you can't fake it. And he he truly gets what this place is about, and that's why it's not going to take that long for Georgia Southern to reestablish itself in this conference and in, in terms of the national landscape, too. Yeah, no doubt. And already a, a little bit, certainly have this year, as we're talking with uh, Danny Reed, the play-by-play voice at Georgia Southern. They come in 3-3, three and three, but back-to-back one-score uh, losses on the road against really good teams in the Sun Belt East. They get set for the Dukes coming up this weekend. And, you know, let's talk about this offense. It is, it's been pretty prolific so far. They lead the Sun Belt in passing, um, almost 500 yards per football game. Talk about Kyle Van Trees, first of all, and obviously he's a guy that he's already thrown for more yards this year, too, than, than he did any year at Buffalo. You mentioned he's broke the school record. Has he surprised? Has he out, out exceeded expectations coming in? Maybe for some, but that's why this coaching staff went and got him in the first place. They knew that he was capable of doing this in this offense that's the brainchild of Coach Helton, Brian Ellis, Ryan Applin, and the entire offensive staff. It's very similar to what Western Kentucky was running last year, and of course we know what Bailey Zappi and Jarrett Stearns and that crew did with the most prolific passing offense in the history of college football. But the thing about Van Trees, the offense he was running at Buffalo, he wasn't really getting a chance to showcase mm-hmm. his full skill set. This is actually what he was doing during his high school days. This is very similar to what he was running at Stone Monroe High School up in Ohio. And the recognition of this staff to put him in spots where he can not only show his full skill set and deal with a talented group of receivers that a year ago were running option blocking catching maybe two, three balls every couple weeks. Now you're basically saying, hey, catch two or three balls on a play. That's how much Georgia Southern is throwing it (laughs) relative to where they were with the 47 passes per game and leading the league, throwing the football. And we talked about it already, how much of a culture shock that has been, seeing it in the air that much. But really, he's been part of a balanced offense. Whatever Georgia Southern was going to gravitate to with this new scheme it was going to be in the air more. When you're running the option, it's maybe 10 or 15 passes at the most. So whatever was done, it was going to look like a, an overhaul in terms of passing. And, yeah, they are throwing it 50 times per game. But because of tempo, they're also running it 30 to 35 times per game, featuring Jalen White, Gerald Green, and the outstanding freshman O.J. Arnold, who won a Class A state championship at Brooks County last year. Van Trees has been the trigger man. The guys have really flocked to him, terrible pun being the Eagles, but they really understand how much football he has played, a lot of snaps. He's going to go over 7,000 passing yards probably this weekend. He has seen a lot of football, but instead of running an offense for a lot of times, 
he's turning and handing it off to Jared Patterson at Buffalo, who's in the NFL now. He's being able to show that arm talent and maybe increase his individual stock as some NFL scouts have definitely taken notice. And, and those skill guys are really good. You mentioned the receivers, and I've been so impressed with them. I, when, when I was starting my prep work, I'm like, okay, these guys are all transfers. They had to come in from somewhere else. No, they're not. These guys were here a year ago. They were blocking a lot and, and not asked to, to catch many footballs. But that's impressive for these guys to, to, to kind of change – uh, change their mindset and, and become probably what they want to become and catch the football more. But then you've got the, the talented backs as well, but a lot of talent around him to throw, throw the football to and hand the football to. We knew it was here. And really the only guy that wasn't around last year was Jeremy Singleton. He's mm-hmm. in his sixth season transferring in from Houston, had the great game against Nebraska and he's had back-to-back six, six catch games. He's somebody that's starting to round into form as one of those outside receivers. You've had Caleb Hood here. You've had Amari Jones here. You've had Derwin Burgess here, but his his stock has skyrocketed with those 37 catches already. It seems like he makes at least one highlight real catch per week, and everybody saw what he could do with those 12 catches out of Nebraska. He had the grab on the fourth down play on Georgia Southern's game-winning scoring drive that made it all possible. Caleb Hood, though, has gone from somebody that's just a keep-you-honest guy to a serious threat in this offense. They'll motion him a lot. Of course, he'll play predominantly in the slot. He's also been part of the run game during his career. He's even run a little bit of wild eagle quarterback, and it's been a few years since that's something that he's been involved with, but it is something he's capable of. And I already talked about he's going to set Georgia Southern's career catches record at some point over the next few weeks. Amari Jones didn't get a chance to show what he could fully do at receiver last year because he played five different positions. You had some injuries at quarterback. He actually started the season opener last year at quarterback had to play a little bit of running back because of some other injuries, and he really didn't get full-fledged into his exploits as a receiver. But he's also been involved as a punt returner, too. That's something he was really good at at Tulane. And he had a 50-yard run back a couple of weekends against Coastal, which was the longest of his career. I've liked watching him get comfortable. He's been able to protect his body by putting on about 10 or 15 pounds since last year. And for Vantrese, it's only one football, and you got to find a way to feed a lot of hungry mouths but for somebody that has over 1,900 yards so far, he's been able to do that. And the more the defense is key on that, there's just built-in checks and there's built-in things with this offense that you're going to be able to find weapons that maybe you didn't even think could be at the beginning of this season. And I'm anxious to see how that develops too. The two numbers for Georgia Southern that really stand out to me is just two sacks allowed, as, as much as they're throwing the football, just two sacks allowed. And again, I know they're getting it out quick, but still. And then 58% on third down. Those are astronomical numbers through six football games. Um, that's that's been, a, <laughs> that's, been a, that's been a key, I'm sure, hasn't it? Yeah, and considering that James Madison has its own impressive third <laughs> down streak, I'm, I'm wondering if rubber's going to beat road. Or uh, that's what I'm horse, wondering. <laughs> or a movable object, whatever it is. So that's, that's going to be a pretty cool storyline. Absolutely. But they've been able to get to third and five really consistently, and it's because of the way that the pass game has worked on first and second, even when they haven't been able to run the football, which last week was the outlier because they've been close to 200 yards per game in many of their contests, and Georgia State dropped them off a little bit. But they've converted third and eight-plus a number of times. It feels like it's at least a couple of those per game, whether it's been Caleb Hood taking hold as that third-down guy, Burgess being able to catch whatever he wants to, or being able to feature Amari Jones in a number of different roles as a receiver. That's been a consistent theme, and that's why the Eagles are putting up 500 yards a game and 37 points per game because the, I think they've had uh, nine three-and-outs in six games. So if wow. they're not giving it back quickly, yeah. then 
nobody can else can force them to do something they don't want to. You know, obviously, we're talking Danny Reed again, the play-by-play voice at Georgia Southern. How about defensively? Obviously, there's been some struggles over there, giving up 454 per game, 230 um, through the air, 224 on the ground. What what are you seeing over there on that side? What are, what are some of the struggles on defense for Georgia Southern right now? It's a little bit of a lack of depth at linebacker and lost another one for the season mm-hmm. against Georgia State. Todd Bradley Glenn, who was in his seventh year, and he's already suffered four season-ending injuries uh-huh. with the, the left knee that he suffered against Georgia State. You feel absolutely awful for him because he keeps coming back. He tries to show his his persistence and be a model for these other guys, but he, he's done for the year, and it really leaves guys like Marquez Watson, Trent, and Kadri Jackson on an island. I would think that Jalen Jackson behind them, Reed Dedman and Jeffrey Smith are going to have to get some more run in terms of middle linebacker. Marquez has been really good top five in the league in tackle, so he has definitely stepped up. He had 13 last week against Georgia State. They try to counter that by moving Waylon Free into the box a little bit more to play more nickel. He came as a corner slash safety from Fresno State. He was part of two 10-win teams out there during his five years but he's been playing a lot more in the box the last couple of weeks. He's one of Georgia Southern's better tacklers. That has helped a little bit in run support, but they just got crushed by missed tackles last week. It was unfortunate because the missed tackles that were happening, and Coach Helton brought this up on Monday, it wasn't that they were just straight-up missing tackles. It's that they weren't in the proper position, Mm -hmm. and they had to adjust their bodies and their tracks to simply get aligned as quickly as they could. And if they were diving, they were reaching, they were stretching out. They just didn't maintain their gap integrity. There's been times this year where the Eagles have been in the spots like against UAB. They had a lot of chances to take down UAB at or around the line of scrimmage, and their talented running backs were just breaking tackles. And that's why they ran for 288 that afternoon. Georgia Southern was getting caught in situations last week where they just weren't maintaining their gap integrity a lot of times it was five, ten yards downfield that Tucker Gregg and Jemias Williams were running before somebody could even get a glove on them. So if that can get shored up, it will definitely help things, and that will also help their ability to defend against the pass. Not getting that pass rush is putting those defensive backs on an island with Derek Canteen not playing last week. I don't know what his status is going to be for this Saturday with Seth Robertson and with Mari Wingard, Quincy Bonner, Tyler Bright actually slid out and played a little bit of cornerback in the second half last week. He had shifted from corner to the nickel and the dime, but they had to use him on the outside a little bit last week. If they can they can just craft a way to maintain a rushing attack that doesn't get too far downfield, they maintain their gap integrity, and let the talent in the secondary reign. But it's going to all have to work together. If you don't have a pass rush, that's not going to work. And if there's a pass rush, but they break down in coverage, that's not going to work either. So they've got to marry it all together, and they're going to get to where they want to go. Is the scheme a lot different on defense like it is on offense from last year? Yeah, because the last four years, Georgia Southern was a 3-4 cover three Mm. team. They didn't blitz a whole lot. They were more of a defense that was going to let you get your yards. But once you got to around the 20, you were probably going to be kicking a field goal or turning it over. Georgia Southern's been one of the best turnover margin teams since the start of the 2018 season. Now you're more of a four-man front, even though they do run some odd with some three-man. They've been a nickel-based team, so there's almost always five defensive backs on the field at any given time. They will go six with a dime, just depending on second and long, third and long, what have you. They've implemented a little bit of three-linebacker with five defensive backs, but now that Quinn Williams, who is more of the hybrid guy, he didn't play last week, and Coach Heldon said that his availability is in deep question for an extended amount of time. I think Georgia Southern is going to have to 
rely on the depth that they have at linebacker. Hopefully they can get some more pressure with that front and then just let the secondary make plays wherever they can fit in. We're talking with Danny Reed, the play-by-play voice at Georgia Southern. Dukes and Eagles coming up on Saturday. And I'm, I'm guessing you expect a, a great football game, don't you, between these two teams? Yeah, the, the history is really cool between yeah. the two, even though they haven't met since 92. But it was eight consecutive years from 85 through that 1992 meeting at Paulson. People still talk about the way that Charles Haley destroyed Georgia Southern back <laughs> in 1985. Knocked Tracy Ham out of the game. And that's the only game the JMU's won in the series. That was when... Georgia Southern was in the process of its elevation, winning those four national championships from 1985 through 1990. But the interesting thing about the history of the matchup, there was one game where neither team punted. Twice mm-hmm. the game was played at Paulson where the, there were attendance records set. That's not going to happen this weekend. There's not going to be 25,000, 26,000 people, but I do believe it's going to be the biggest crowd of the year with family weekend. They're honoring the 40 years of Georgia Southern football team that was voted on before the season. Herc Russell's family is going to be in town. They'll be honored during the game. The Dirty Dozen is a group of people that helped raise funds and awareness for the program in the early 80s. They're going to be honored. Women's Rifle is going to be honored for their conference championship last year, tackling for a cure where we're promoting breast cancer awareness. So there, there's, there's a lot of meat in the pot coming up on Saturday afternoon, but I'm expecting not just a really good atmosphere, but maybe the best crowd of the year, and that's not concluding an Appalachian State game that's going to be played in the finale. But I think it's going to be awesome to watch, and maybe Georgia Southern can pick off a top 25 team. Going to be a lot of fun, no doubt. Can't wait to get down there. Uh, my first time to Statesboro, but I, I, I'm so happy this rivalry is going to be renewed after uh, after such, such a long time. Danny, thank you so much for your time, my friend. I appreciate you. We'll see you on Saturday. You got it, buddy.